we've been in a, a series this month called Contenders and Pretenders uh, because we're looking at some of the lives of the kings of Israel because we want to figure out how to be contenders. We don't want to be pretenders. We don't want to be fakers. We don't want to be going through life never learning or growing or changing. Uh, so we've seen some exciting things. Everything that God wrote in the Old Testament is for our benefit. How many of you know people that they never crack open the Old Testament? And they're, they're missing out on half of the Bible that has stories and things that we can learn, that we can engage with, uh, that are supposed to encourage us and give us hope and to teach us. Uh, so we've been learning some lessons from the, the guys that were the kings of Israel. And honestly, it's amazing to see that if God could still move in their lives and do stuff with his people, he can still move today and do stuff in our lives. So uh, we talked about Saul being willing to, he needed to change and to grow. Last week, we looked at David getting called to be king. And we're going we're gonna to pick up a couple of the highlights from David's life today. But have you ever, this is one I wanted us to think about for a second. Have you ever been in the middle of a season or a streak in your life that you thought was never going to end? And it could be good or bad. I, I think I always see those guys at the casino. They're rolling those dice on the craps table. Like, yes, I'm going to be a winner forever. No, you're not. Like every streak comes to an end at some time, even the good ones. But like how many of you have ever been in a losing streak that you felt like it was never going to end? Oh, I got turned down for five jobs. I'm never going to get a job anywhere. Man, I've, I've asked 10 people for dates and I can't get a date and I'm still single. Sometimes we get in the middle of these streaks and we think they're going to go on forever. And being a Pittsburgh sports guy, it made me think of some streaks. So uh, I put this picture up there. How many of you remember, like say, thank God I'm not a Bengals fan. Unless you are a Bengals fan, then maybe we could pray and minister some inner healing to you afterwards. Um, how many of you remember the crying Bengals lady? This was like uh, four or five years ago. The Bengals completely imploded in the playoffs and gave the game away to the Steelers. And they actually zoomed in on TV. She became a famous meme because she was crying and being consoled by her husband. And uh, come on, are there any people in the room that actually watch Pittsburgh Dad? <laughs> All right, I'm seeing a smattering of hands. If you don't know Pittsburgh Dad, you're missing out on something that's very Pittsburgh. You need to go look it up later on YouTube. But Pittsburgh Dad actually interviewed the crying Bengals lady. And and he sat down with her and said, look, I've got a cup full of your tears right here. Oh. There are streaks that we get on in our lives that feel like they're never going to end. And some of them are pretty bad. Uh, can you guess with me? What would you guess as a number is the longest losing streak for either the Pirates, Steelers, or Penguins? Anybody throw out, throw out just a couple of numbers? Like how many games in a row do you think any of those teams have lost? Seven, I heard 17, 22, 30. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> What's amazing to me is we're thinking about these streaks. The, the Pirates' longest winning streak was 17 games. Their longest losing streak was only 14 games. That might be hard to imagine right now with the, the streak we've been on, but they've, they've actually had those streaks in their past. 1937-38 was 17 games they won, and their longest losing streak was 14 games. No, Anson, I did not count when they were the Pittsburgh Alleghenies before they became the Pirates in 1880. Uh, this was amazing to me. The Steelers' longest winning streak was 15 games. In 2004, they actually won them in the same season. Their longest losing streak was across the 69-70 seasons. They lost 16 games in a row. And I am sad to say that is when my dad had season tickets for the Steelers. 
They played at Pitt Stadium. They were just bad. Uh, Dad got saved. Uh, Let's just say Dad didn't go to the football games for the football. Dad went for the parties and the tailgating and the drinking. And so when he got saved, he was like, oh, we're paying this money for the Steelers tickets. They're terrible. And I don't want to go in that environment because it's bad for me as a new Christian. So he gave up his Steelers season tickets. And I'm like, Jesus, couldn't you have waited to save dad until 1974? (laughs) No, I'm glad he didn't wait. My dad got saved right when he needed to get saved. But the the Steelers even were bad. And you may have been in a season like, oh, they're going to be losers forever. This streak is going to continue. And for my hockey guys in the room, the Penguins' longest winning streak was also 17 games. 1993, they won 17 games in a row. Their longest losing streak was 18 games in 2004. How many of you know sometimes your losing streak produces a Sidney Crosby? Come on. The, The point is, life is streaky. They're going to be ups and downs. Whatever season you're in, whether you think it's a winning season or a losing season, it's not going to go on forever. We need to prepare ourselves for what's next. The enemy, when you're on a losing streak, the enemy comes and tries to get you to be depressed and to think, this is never going to end. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. This is all that's going to happen in my life. This is my portion forever. And if you're on a winning streak, the enemy comes and tries to lull you into complacency. It's always going to be easy. You're never going to lose. You're never going to have another hard time in life. How many of you know both of those things are not true? The the enemy, he's so cunning and crafty that way. No matter what season you're in, he'll try to convince you that's the way it's going to be forever. And part of the good news as Christians is that God walks with us through the highs and the lows. I would love to tell you that the good news of being a Christian is that there will never be any lows. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is we still get to live our lives, but Jesus is with us every single step of the way. He's with us to put his arm around us, to comfort us when we're in those valleys and the low places. And he's there to rejoice with us and strengthen us when we're on the mountaintop. We walk with him. That is the promise. And part of what he does is he will use all of those experiences to teach us something and to grow us. Whether it's a good season or a hard season, there's something to be learned that he wants to put in our character that will strengthen us. And that's where I want to get to today is I want to share just a quick high and a low from the life of King David. So King David, when we last left our story, he had been anointed to be king, but he's kind of in this holding pattern. Saul's still the king and David's got this promise that I'm going to do something for God. And so there was this guy in the story, if we're reading through the Bible, and his name was Goliath. Very crucial, integral piece of David's story. Uh, This one, somehow, there are parts of this that do get painted on the nursery walls sometimes. I don't know. You ever David's got his sling. They don't show you what actually happened. They just show you them standing across from each other fighting. But Goliath was a Philistine. That was the group of people he was from. And they were enemies of Israel who had invaded the land. The, The name Philistine literally means migrants. It means they weren't from around there, but they didn't come just to be part of what's going on and live in the land peacefully. They came with evil intent to destroy and kill the Israelites. And so Goliath was a Philistine. They didn't belong in the land. They shouldn't have been there. God didn't want them there. They were oppressing God's people. Have you ever had something in your life that didn't belong there? That you're, that you're just like, man, This is not supposed to be part of my life. If I don't get this out of here, it's going to kill me. It's going to ruin me. I don't know what it might be. It it might be some addiction. It might be things that you're dealing with in your attitudes and your thoughts. I think sometimes the giants and the enemies that we battle can be our own self-opinions. 
All right. Yes. Some people knew that was for them, and I did too. It took generations for the Philistines to be completely subdued. So I'm going to tell you this morning, if there's something in your life that you've been battling, don't get frustrated if it takes more than one fight. Sometimes there, there are incremental victories. Sometimes we think we got a victory, but then they, they get up and they keep coming after us. Don't get frustrated by the process. Jesus is still with you walking every step of the way, and he is the victor. So we'll talk about how that translates. Uh, Goliath was this guy who wasn't just any Philistine. He was their champion. He was nine feet tall. I am about a foot off of the ground on this riser right here, and I'm six feet. So this is seven feet. So two more feet above my head right now was how tall Goliath was. And he wore this helmet that weighed about 125 pounds. He had a spear that just the tip of the spear weighed about 15 or 18 pounds. He was a big guy, probably bigger than anybody we've actually met in person. Uh, Not, I think, Andre the Giant wasn't even tall enough to be nine feet tall next to Goliath. So he was their champion. He was the one that fought on their behalf. And Goliath's name actually means great. (laughs) Think about this, how people get their names. It means great, splendor, conspicuous, or you stand out. How many of you know standing out or conspicuous is a good name for a guy that's nine feet tall? Because the rest of the Philistines were not nine feet tall. They were like normal guys like you and I. But Goliath was their champion. He was nine feet tall. And so every day it says in Scripture that the, the armies would come out to oppose each other. And so there, there was this valley where they had to battle. And the Israelites would come out and line up on one side of the valley. And the Philistines would come out and line up on the other side of the valley. And there was a lot of posturing that went on. Anybody ever remember the movie Braveheart? They, they came out and they just shouted at the other guys. Before they even fought, they just stood on across the field from each other and they yelled foul things at each other and taunted each other and whatever they did. They, that was kind of what was going on with the Israelites and the Philistines. They would come out every morning like, yeah, we're ready to fight. We're going to go out. And then they would yell at the other guys. Then Goliath would come out and he would begin to taunt them and say, hey, what are you guys doing? You're just a bunch of lackeys. I'm the champion. Give me a man to fight me. Come out here and fight me one-on-one, and if you kill me, we'll be your servants. But if I kill you, you'll be servants to us forever. And Goliath did that every day. And it says this in 1 Samuel 17. I don't know how he said it. It was probably a little more intimidating than my version of it that I just said to you. Because you're not scared of me, hopefully, on Sunday morning in church. But Goliath would come out, and he would taunt them. 1 Samuel 17, 11, it says, When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Maybe you've ever experienced a season in your life where the enemy's voice is intimidating. It causes you to be afraid. You're you're hearing voices, not not hearing voices like that, but you're hearing these voices in your life that are saying, you're a nobody. You're worthless. You'll You'll never defeat this habit you're dealing with. You'll never overcome this issue. That's essentially what Goliath was saying. Hey, come and fight me. You guys are all cowards. And it says every day, 40 days in a row, Come on, this is longer than any losing streak the Pirates were on or the Steelers or the Penguins. Forty days in a row, Goliath would come out and taunt them, and the Israelites would all flee in fear and go back to their camp. Man, we've got shields, we've got swords, we're ready to fight, we're yelling, we psyched ourselves up, and just the presence of this guy and his voice intimidated them to leave the battlefield. And I think it's interesting, even when the Israelites 
turned their backs and ran back to their camp, the Philistines never pursued them. Did you ever think about that? If, if your guy came out and, and taunted them and, and threatened them and they all turned their backs on you and started to run, wouldn't your army go get them? Like, look, they're running away. Let's go kill them all. The Philistines didn't move from their side of the ravine either. And I think the truth there is sometimes the enemy is afraid that you're going to stand up and fight. That you might actually turn around and decide to take a stand in that moment. He yells, he postures, he tries to get you afraid, he tries to get you in a place where you never take a step forward. You don't even risk the battle because you're afraid of the outcome. And in reality, what's happening is the enemy is afraid that you will stand up in the authority that Jesus has given you. Because it's not really a fight, it's more of an enforcement of Jesus' victory. Come on, can I say it that way? We, we have this picture of spiritual warfare and the battles we're engaged in like, oh, I've really got to try hard to win this victory. And we're actually fighting from a place of victory that Jesus already won from us. We are trying to enforce what he died on the cross to obtain for us. So don't ever think, oh, I've got to beat the enemy back in my own strength. Sometimes all you have to do is stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. So back to David. Three of David's older brothers were in Saul's army. So they were part of this group that went out every day like, yeah, we're going to do it today. This is our day. We're going to fight. We're going to win. And then they would go back to camp with their tail between their legs. And so David's father, Jesse, sent David with provisions to go see how are things going with your brothers. In 1 Samuel 17, 18, this is what Jesse said to him. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. Do you ever wonder why David? There's only three of the older brothers. There were four other brothers at home that were older than David. Why didn't Jesse send one of them to see how the other brothers were doing? Well, I think after David got anointed by Samuel, I think his stature in his dad's household had increased. His dad trusted him with more responsibility. He said, hey, you've been back and forth to Saul's household already. You've played the harp for him. Why don't you go see how your brothers are doing in the battle? And we know what happened, that David actually kills Goliath. I'll give away the spoiler for the end of the story. But he was there to bring back a report to his dad, how are your brothers doing? And I believe what we think we go to do sometimes isn't what God has sent us to do. David... I think God knew you're going to go there to deliver my people. And David thought, oh, I'm just going to take food and supplies and see how my brothers are doing. But God's plan could be very different than our plan. And I think don't ever discount natural circumstances that you're in. Oh, I'm I'm just, I just go to my job every day. I just work. I just wave at my neighbor. I just, I baked cookies for somebody. Like, I don't know what it is that you do, but don't discount natural circumstances because they are opportunities for supernatural occurrences to happen. And David could have said, oh, this is stupid, dad. Like, why do I need to go see how they are? Or he could have just dropped off the food, said, oh, that's all I was here to do. But he was open to God saying, this is what I really sent you here to do. And I think there's sometimes, whether, whether it's in the workplace or the store or just hanging out with our families at a family reunion, going to a picnic this summer, I think there are times when we need to start looking beyond, oh, I'm only here to do this. 
that we really need to get to a place where we start asking God, what are you doing here? What is something that you've sent me to do that you want me to be involved in right now? And it could be amazing. Maybe God's sending you to your family reunion this year because he wants to bring deliverance to your family. Maybe there's a bunch of people in your family that don't know Jesus and they need to hear the gospel and God's sending you for such a time as this. Don't ever get short-sighted and just think, oh, what we're doing in the natural is all there is. So David was open to what God wanted to do. Don't forget, we are ambassadors. Come on, we are not from this world system. We are citizens of another kingdom. Anytime that we do things in the natural, it's not inconsequential because we carry the weight of heaven on our lives. And there's something that we can do that changes the entire atmosphere of the places we go. So David, he goes to see how his brothers are. He hears Goliath come out in the morning. He, he gets there right around the time when Goliath comes out and says, look at you bunch of dogs. You're all Saul's servants, but I'm a man. Come fight me. David gets ticked off. Who does this guy think he is? How could he talk about God that way? Come on, I feel like David, David's taking this personal because he had a relationship with God. This is my friend that has been with me in the pasture. This is the one I worship. This is the one my heart loves and desires. And you're talking about him like that? There was such a relationship that it provoked David with a holy anger. You can't talk about God that way and defy him. He was gung-ho and ready to fight. How many of you know that's a great first step? to at least get motivated. I am going to get this out of my life. I'm going to defeat that giant. I'm going to do it. This is my season. I need to get over that. It's got no more hold on me. That's a great first step. And then sometimes, not just the enemy, but other voices begin to come into our lives that make us a little unsure. And this is what happened to David. 1 Samuel 17, 28, it says, when David's brother Eliab, remember he was the oldest one that everybody thought he must be the king, and God said, no, that's not him. When David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see a battle. This is David's family. These are the people that should have been his biggest cheerleader. These are the guys that were there when he was anointed. It said David stood in the midst of his brother and Samuel poured the oil on him. These are the guys that should have said, man, my brother's going to be the next king. This is awesome. But instead of that, his brother began to mock him and accuse him of things that aren't true. Can we just be honest? Have you ever had a moment where you were disappointed in family? Not being there, not having your back. The ones that should be our biggest cheerleaders and instead they're running us down, accusing us of things that aren't even true. You're just, you're just a nothing. Why aren't you at home with the sheep? I know you, you're full of pride. You just, you just want to make your own name. I think taking a risk for God will sometimes reveal what's in people's hearts. Don't let it make you stop loving them, though. Come on, that that can be the hardest time to love and to be like Jesus, is when the people you thought were going to cheer you on the loudest are the ones running you down the hardest. But it doesn't take away our responsibility to still be Jesus and love them. And there was another voice besides David's brother. So, so we, we got Goliath yelling at him, I'm going to kill you, you're a dog. We got his brother yelling at him. He goes to see King Saul. 
David says, hey, I can do this. Who's that guy out there? This is nothing for God. Like, let me go handle this. And this is what Saul says to him. This is, come on, this is the king, the one that should have wanted to win more than anybody else, the one that should have been like, this is awesome. Somebody's going to go fight this guy. Saul says in verse 33 of chapter 17, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Want sometimes even the people that have asked us to do stuff or that have said, you, you, you need to get this out of your life or do this, they think, oh, they're not really going to do it. And you know what? In the natural, Saul was right. If you just look at it from a completely natural, worldly view, Saul was absolutely right. You're just a boy. He's going to eat your lunch. He's a man of war. But David wasn't just a natural person. He was empowered by the Spirit of God, just like you and I. And that, that reminds me that our flaws don't diminish God's power. Come on, in fact, Paul told the Corinthian church, he says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because that's an opportunity for him to come and show off. And we, we get in this place where all we look at is our weakness, and we need to focus on his strength. David, he knew, hey, the things that I've screwed up and the things I've messed up, they don't diminish who God is. And he begins to cite, recite his resume. He says, I've been out in the field when lions and bears attack the sheep. He literally says, I grabbed the lions and the bear by the jaw, and I clubbed them to death. Come on. Just by show of hands, has anybody in the room ever clubbed a lion or a bear to death with their bare hands? Uh, for the record, there was no, no hands went up. David begins to tell him, I did all these things and I'm going to do the same to that guy, that uncircumcised Philistine who's defying God's army. Watch what I do to him. I'm going to kill him today. But David, the difference was he affirmed that it wasn't his strength that was going to do it. It was, it's not me that's going to accomplish this. In 1 Samuel 17, 37, David says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. There are things we're battling in our lives, things that look like giants, things that are Philistines that shouldn't be in our lives, that we've worn ourselves out because we've tried to overcome them in our own strength. We've, we've tried to tell people, this, oh, I got this. I'm, I can go cold turkey on this. I'm, this is never going to be an issue for me. And we fall down over and over again because we've said we're the ones that are going to do it. And David was smart enough to say, hey, God's won me all these other battles. He's never let me down yet, and I'm going to trust in him. He's going to do this for me also. This is actually a testimony. We talk about the power of testimonies, and that's part of how we overcome. David saying this was testifying to God's goodness. He was talking about the good things God had done in his life, and it was creating an atmosphere for that to happen again. I, I think if whatever we've seen good happen in our lives, we need to go back and look for God's intervention in that situation so that we can have something to testify. Here's where God moved in that area. Hey, there was no way we ever should have forgiven each other, had a relationship, and God moved on their heart. We have a great relationship today. I don't, I don't know what it is that was broken in your life that God intervened and fixed, but I know he's been moving somewhere because we're in this room today. I'm pretty sure if you're breathing and you're here in this room today, God has had something to do with that in your life at some point. And we need to be diligent to look back and say, God, where did you move in my... Oh, there it is. Thank you, Jesus. Let me honor you for it. And that's exactly what David did. I beat all these other guys, but God did it. And he's testifying to Saul. 
And when we give a testimony, when we talk about how good God is, it may be even just encouraging yourself. Or you may sit down with your best friend and just begin to share stories. It changes something in the atmosphere. It changes something in our expectations. Wow, it reminds us if God did this before, he could do it again. And it sets us up to see God come through. And God really did come through for David. Come on. He, he took his sling and his stones. Come on. I, I would hit myself in the head with that thing. Come on. It, it wasn't the slingshot, like the cool one with the arm grip. I mean, any, anybody in the room have a slingshot when you were a kid? Anybody ever get in trouble with it? Yeah, I'm seeing everybody that raised their hand just also nodded. You'll, you'll shoot your eye out with that thing. You'll shoot your brother's eye out. I don't know. It wasn't one of those cool slingshots with the grip. It was, hey, I'm going to put a stone in this pouch, and it's on the end of a, two strings, and I'm going to let one go and sling it at him. I would have whacked myself in the head, and it would have been all over. Saul would have been like, I was right about that guy. <laughs> David, though, he runs. He runs to the battle. This is not just, okay, I'm going to go fight the guy now. He's like, enough of that. I'm going to take it head on and I'm going to deal with it right now. And it says he let the sling go. The rock literally struck Goliath in the head and he fell over on the ground. And if you read a a careful reading of the story, this is the part we don't paint on the nursery walls. A careful reading of the story, the stone in Goliath's head is not what killed him. It says David ran up to the giant, took his own sword, killed him with it, and then cut off his head. Like, just to, I'm stabbing you, I'm killing you, and then just to be sure you're good and dead, I'm going to cut off your head, too. Wouldn't that be awesome on the nursery wall? I'm just saying, come on. Like David holding up the... Oh. It's, that's one where, like, my mom, Pam, and all the kids' workers are just shaking their head, like, no, that's not good. Come on, this, this would be like if the Pirates beat the Yankees for the World Series. Like, that was that big of an upset. And he cuts off the guy's head and he's holding it. They rout the Philistines that day. It says the Philistines saw what happened to their champion and they turned and they ran and the Israelites pursued them. Your action, your defeat of a giant in your life, you never know how much courage that will infuse in the people around you. Man, if he could do it, we can do it too. Let's do this together. They began to chase the Philistines and they routed the army and they won a great victory that day. Something shifted in David's life that day. In the eyes of himself, in the eyes of others, he never went back to tending sheep. Taking a step of faith and a step of courage moved him, forced him, propelled him into the next season of his life. Sometimes we're stuck in a season and we're wondering, how am I ever going to get out of this? And it's because it takes a step of faith and a step of courage. And when we see God through, he moves us into a new realm. And here's a truth for you today. Victories give us experience for more battles. Yeah, everybody look at your neighbor and say, oh joy. Man, isn't God so good that he gives us victories so that we can be ready for the next battle in our lives. And uh, you can't let one victory. Come on, as great as the rejoicing was, as great as the victory was that day, you can't let one victory over a giant make us think that we'll never have another battle in our lives. Remember, there's, there's going to be ups and downs. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus is with us through all of them. 
that he strengthens us through all of them. We can't let one victory convince us we're never going to have to fight again. Especially because the next fight may look different than you expect. This is, I'll wrap up with this story today. It was another battle that David wasn't so successful at. He had been king for a while at this point. He was probably about 50 years old by this time. And it says in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Have you ever gotten in trouble because you weren't doing what you were supposed to do or you weren't in the place you were supposed to be? At least three people have. That's exactly what happened to David. David sent other people to do what God had asked him to do. It says in the time when kings normally go out to war, David wasn't there. He sent others to do what God had put on his heart and on his office. I'm going to just encourage us, whatever it is, maybe God has given you a dream to reach certain people or to do something with your life, don't pawn off on others what God puts on your heart. I, I would love to have a better example, but I've had in a number of people, they will come up to me and says, Pastor Chris, Somebody ought to, and then they'll tell me this thing that you just know from them talking about, like that's a passion in their heart. Like God has put that on there because they're supposed to reach that people group or start this ministry or, or reach out to somebody I don't, or take a new job. Like I don't know what it is, but they'll start talking. Somebody ought to do this. And it's like in that moment, you just know, you can almost hear in their voice, they're not saying it, but what you hear in their voice is, you know, Pastor Chris, I ought to do this. Somebody is often me, buddy. And if you feel that burden, if you feel like, man, God really wants me to do this, we get in trouble if we try to get somebody else to stand in and do it for us. All right, moving right along in our story, because that's really good, Pastor Chris. Thanks for reminding us of that. This is what David's doing. He's staying in the city. He's not out fighting the battles. He's not with the troops. He's not where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. In 2 Samuel eleven two, it says, Late one afternoon after his midday rest. So he's not only not with the troops, he's taking naps in the middle of the day. I don't know if the king's supposed to be doing that. But it says, After his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. As opposed to all the regular women bathing. Like, I don't know what's going on with this. I've got, I've got questions about who designed this palace and the architecture of the city. Like, we're going to put a walkway right here because you can see all the women bathing. Like, I don't know who did that. But I know that David wasn't supposed to be there at that time. And that got him into trouble. He sees this woman. He finds out her name is Bathsheba. Not only does he find out her name, he finds out, oh, that's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah one of the people who is in your army who's off fighting a war right now on your behalf. And David sends messengers to bring her to the palace, not for a chat, 
Not, hey, how's Uriah doing? It literally says he sent messengers to bring her back so he could sleep with her. In that moment, Bathsheba ends up pregnant from that indiscretion that happened. And David, come on, this is a real guy that lived a real life like we live. And in that moment, David loses another battle. Because instead of owning what he did, saying, oh man, we really screwed up, we need to make this right, he brings Uriah home from the battlefront and says, hey, good to see you, tell me how the battle's going, and then go home and spend the night with your wife. Uriah goes back to his house, sleeps in the doorway, says, how could I go in to my wife when all of my soldier friends, all of my brothers in arms are out in the field sleeping rough? David's like, man, what is the matter with that guy? Why won't he go in? So David brings him back the next day. Come on, this is not just I screwed up and made a mistake. This is like I'm actively trying to cover this up as much as I can right now. David brings him back the next night and says, Uriah, come back. We'll have a big meal. And he gets Uriah drunk and says, okay, now he's drunk. Now send him home. Surely that'll happen. And he didn't go in to be with his wife again. And so the next Come on. I don't know how it got to this point. Lover of God, person that had seen victories in his life, had won victories over literal giants out on the battlefield, says, huh, a good idea to cover this up would be to have him killed. So he sends Uriah back to the battle with a note, sealed note from the king. Give this to the commander of the Lord's armies. And he goes, he gives the note to the commander, and the note says, Put Uriah up by the wall where the fighting is the worst and then have the rest of the troops pull back from him. And Uriah gets killed. At some point, you would think, I need to stop digging. Stop digging my hole any deeper and just own it. And he doesn't do that. This This is the king of Israel, the leader of God's people, abuser of his power position coveter of his neighbor's wife, adulterer, liar, murderer. Come on, that's a pretty bad list, isn't it? That's the list that we would write people off. Sounds like the exact opposite of a believer in God, doesn't it? This is the person who's just indulging himself. You would, you would start to ask the question, did you ever really know God? We're not going to, man, we might not even let you in on a Sunday morning. Oh, those kind of people. This was David, the king. We're not going to let you represent God or the church. Think about this with me for a second. Saul lost his kingdom for not killing somebody because he disobeyed God. God said, go wipe out the the Amalekites. And that cost Saul his kingdom. David gets to keep his kingdom even after adultery and murder and lying to cover it up. It really is about our heart attitude towards the Lord. And I don't know if anybody in the room has anything that dramatic on your resume of what you've done. But the fact that we can sit here because of God's grace and Jesus' forgiveness and the work of the cross, no matter what's on our ledger from our past, and know that he loves us and embraces us and forgives us is just an amazing thought. Yeah. Actually, after, even after David did all that, later in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, it says God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. This doesn't mean that there wasn't fallout or consequences from David's sin. There are very real things. The baby they had actually died. David had to get confronted by a prophet of God. There were very real consequences that happened. But what set David apart, what he did, is when he was confronted with his sin, he ran towards God instead of away from God. I just want to encourage you, whatever we've done, when we know about it, when we're aware of it, run towards God. Don't run and hide. Don't run the opposite direction. He knows what you did. He's seen it all before. He knows what's in your heart. And he's staying there with his arms open to embrace you and walk you through forgiveness. David learned from that experience. As much as he learned from beating Goliath and a, a victory and a mountaintop experience, David also learned some lessons, some hard lessons, from this valley point of his career of what God does and how faithful he is even when we're not. I just want to encourage you, keep following him no matter what happens. Jesus' report about us doesn't see those failures. Come on. It, it, is a, it is consistent in the New Testament when you hear a report of what happened to people in the Old Testament. There's David that had all those sins in his past. And in the New Testament, all you hear is, this is a man after God's own heart. He's going to do everything I want him to do. There were times Abraham had failures in his life. He lied. He told people, this is my sister, not my wife. He did all these crazy things. And in the New Testament, all you see is Abraham believed God and God counted it righteousness. When Jesus sees us, he doesn't see all the shortcomings and failures. He sees what he's called us to be. Sometimes, this is where I want to land with my action item this week. Sometimes we forget how Jesus sees us. And all we look at is the crud in our lives. And we think, I could never beat that giant. I could never win that battle because look at all the failures I have. Sometimes we need the people around us to encourage us, to remind us who Jesus sees us as, to remind us that there is a victory that was won at the cross that works in our lives too. And so what I want us to do for our action item is find someone to encourage this week. I don't know who it is. They might be in this room right now. They might not be here. And you're thinking about them this morning while we're here at church worshiping and you don't see them in the room. Whoever it is that God puts on your heart right now, take some time this week to reach out to them and just encourage them. Man, I'm praying for you. I know you've got this. What, is there anything I can pray specifically for you? Man, God just put you on my heart today. I'm just reminded of what a awesome believer you are. I don't, I don't know what it may be that he puts in your heart. Man, you're, you're, such a, you're such a kind person. You're such a loving person. Reach out to somebody and let them know how God sees them. Maybe somebody needs to hear, don't give up, I'm rooting for you. I, I don't know what it is, but reach out to someone this week and just be an encourager to say, this is how God sees you. Let's go ahead and stand together. couple things I'm thinking of. If, if, you're in, if you're in this room and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, he died on the cross so that our past could be forgiven. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus that we could have eternal life. 
If you've never experienced that life or that forgiveness, this is a great day to start a relationship with him, just to ask him to come and be the Lord of our lives, to come and forgive us, forgive our past, redeem our future. He's faithful to do that. But I also want to say, if you're in this room and and you've been a Christian for a while and you've done some things that it's just like, man, this guilt is just weighing me down. I'm having a hard time even looking people in the face in this room this morning. When somebody asks me how I'm doing, I don't really tell them. I tell them what I think they want to hear. I just feel like God wants to come and set some people free from that. That there, there really is grace. There really is forgiveness. There really is wholeness in Jesus. There is power in the blood that he shed on the cross for us. And so if that's, if that's you, I just want you to receive this even while I pray this morning. And uh, I just believe God's going to lift some of that weight and that racking guilt off your, off your life right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. Just, Lord, we are in awe of what you did for us. Jesus, the fact that you would step out of eternity to come live as a man and die on that cross because you loved us. Lord, sometimes we're not even so sure that we could love ourselves or that we are lovable, but you loved us even while we were still sinners, you came for us. And Lord, I thank you that 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 forgiveness that you extended to us, the power of grace didn't stop the moment we we became believers. That power of forgiveness continues through our lives. Lord, you... Your will is not for us to live under condemnation and guilt. And I just ask right now, whatever people in this room have been carrying, I just ask that they would hear your voice saying, I love you, I forgive you. Lord, help us to keep our hearts tender and oriented towards you. Let us hear your voice and respond, Lord Jesus. Let us never be ones that think, oh, we don't need your help anymore. God, even as, as you're speaking that to people this morning, your forgiveness, your love, I thank you that you just wash over them with the freshness of that salvation experience, that eternal life that you've given us, the newness of life that we know when we come to you. Just let that wash afresh over people this morning. The guilt and condemnation, shame, fear would have no place in our lives as your children. I just I thank you that you help us carry that message to others. The, the essence of the gospel, that no matter what we've done and what we're carrying, there is forgiveness to be found at the cross. Just let that message resonate in our lives. Let what we've experienced from you be part of what we share to others. As, as we recount our testimonies of times you've helped us overcome and walk through situations, let it stir faith in others even as we share. God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you that you brought us in to be part of your family. And we give you the glory right now in Jesus' name.